0: We cannot get away
1: from those cues that causes us to attra- like, be attracted to something, like is it money, status and everything else. But when it comes down to actual experience, kindness and pleasure and respect means a lot more than just being tall, being rich and have a six-pack or having a, a seven-figure income.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today, we welcome Kenneth Play and Madison Sloan-Holland to the show. Kenneth Play is an international sex expert and sex educator named, quote, the world's greatest sex hacker by GQ. He has been featured by more than 100 media outlets, including the New York Times, Men's Health, Cosmopolitan, and the Huffington Post. He is the creator of the Sex Hacker Pro series, and he is author of the book Beyond Satisfied. His work has helped millions of men gain lasting confidence and competence. Madison in holland is a sex and empowerment coach, intimacy expert, and co-host of the top-rated sex podcast, Pleasure Positive Living. In this episode, I talked to Kenneth and Madison about how to increase sexual pleasure. Most people fail to realize their full sexual potential, partly because sex education in America is fear and shame driven. As a result, people turn to different forms of media, which can create unrealistic expectations and increase insecurities. In this episode, Kenneth and Madison dispel the most common sex myths and talk about how we can empower both men and women to take charge of their own pleasure. This was such a fun conversation with two people who are so sex positive as well as empowering. I really hope that you listen to this podcast with an open mind, and I hope it empowers you to reach your full sexual potential and increase the connections and intimacy with others in your life. So without further ado, I bring you Kenneth Play and Madison Sloan-Holland. Kenneth and Madison, it is so great to have you on the Psychology Podcast. Thank
1: you. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be great talking to you both.
2: Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. You know, This is going to be a fun one. Uh, It's on sexual pleasure, And you two are experts on that topic. First of all, what's it like to be an expert on sexual pleasure? I mean, is that a little bit of an ego boost at all? Or do you try not to think about that too much? Do you try to stay humble and all that uh, uh, caveats?
3: I would say for me, it's a healthy balance of the two. (laughs) I say that with as much humility as I can. I mean, definitely it's noticeable for the lovers that I interact with, I, I happen to be polyamorous and married, so I do engage in outside situations other than with my, my husband, and I do get positive reviews and feedback, and I, um, I do my best to, to not let my ego take over, <laughs> and, and I certainly, I think, brag in a healthy way about my uh, sex game, but all in the name of having others feel safe to explore their own sexuality
2: excellent kenneth kenneth what, what's your response to this
1: i never thought i will be a sex expert you know i was so sexually insecure and my journey is really about overcoming my insecurity and finding confidence to by increasing my competence in this it's kind of awkward actually like i prefer to be the underdog i realize when people think i'm a sex expert that pressure is not necessarily enjoyable for me. I thought I would like it, but in reality, like I get embarrassed most of the time when people talk to me that way. I still, most of the time, even though I have worked a lot on developing my expertise, to me, it's still skill sharing. You know, it's not necessary that like, I'm the expert. I'm going to train you on XYZ. I think everybody's sexual expression is unique to themselves. So I don't I don't necessarily teach other people to be more like me, but like how can you be more like yourself? And and that's been a really fun journey.
2: And you have this book. It's called Beyond Satisfied, a hacker's guide to endless orgasms, mind blowing connections and lasting pleasure. Those sound like good things. Those sound like really (laughs) good things. GQ has called yeah I'm doing I'm doing exactly what you don't like you know building you <laughs> up but but GQ is calls you the world's greatest sex hacker. What does hacking mean in the sex context? Um I you know there's like the biohacking space which I can kind of wrap my head around but what does it mean in the sex space to be a hacker uh, to be a sex hacker?
1: I've been in the fitness industry for 15 years. So biohacking and fitness hacking always been part of you know part of that industry like how do you reduce your body fat get muscle how do you increase your endurance your vertical jump so when i dive into sexuality i realized there have been sex hackers throughout human history mm-hmm. like kama sutra from india you could think of the bondage shibari art from japan or the victorian era when they created the vibrated all all those different technique and modality. It's different sex hack that people have created over time to enhance sexual experiences. So as a modern day sex hacker, my, what I love is about collecting new sex hack and science has a lot to do with it. We have learned a lot more about sexuality and there's different ways to how do you get to a place where you could feel aroused when you are struggling with getting aroused. So how can you use science to set up an environment where you could be in your parasympathetic nervous system? It's an interesting hack. There's one crazy one lately. I'm not prescribing this. Don't play a doctor on TV. But for some people who have deal with severe uh, sexual trauma, taking a beta blocker could reduce the physical sign of you know reacting to the physical trauma that pleasure could happen again. So I'm thinking all these different ways that people have figured out how to enhance their sexual experiences, and that's why I love the term sex hacking.
2: Yeah. I, what do you both? see as some major blocks to sexual pleasure. You know, I often like to think with self-actualization, like when I work with clients and my self-actualization coaching stuff, it's like, what do you think are the major blocks to your own self-actualization? How are you getting in your own way? How do people How do people get in their own way in terms of sexual pleasure?
3: First, I want to just lay the groundwork for sex education in our country. I think this has a lot to do with how we how educated we are by a certain age. And so, you know, a lot of the sex education in this country is about abstinence, is about don't get pregnant and be careful of STDs. But there really is an education in our system about pleasure. And, you know, as you can see by Kenneth's birds and bees, Accessory the birds and the bees conversation as kids. If you think about the conversation you had with your own parents, maybe you were fortunate enough to have your parents actually call your genitals by their proper names. But many of us, we were taught to call our genitals slang names, not what the proper naming of our genitals are, which taught us from a really young age that to shame our bodies, to shame these parts of our bodies, you know, the elbow is an elbow, but for some reason, Uh, we're going to refer to the vagina or penis as a hoo-ha, right? Makes no sense um, from a scientific standpoint uh, to not name our body parts what they are. And often this um, lack of education about our bodies and what they're capable of. And, you know, for example, how to masturbate. We don't talk about that necessarily openly with our kids, with the current system that's in place, how to experience pleasure. We talk about the other often scary things with sex, the more fear-driven tactics to the um, educational conversation that is sex, and so we go on our our journey and we find porn and we learn a lot about sex from porn. And I'm a host of one of the top rated sexuality podcasts, the Pleasure Positive Podcast, and we've interviewed uh, some of the most renowned people in our industry, one of which being uh, sex workers' rights activist Nina Hartley, who's also a famous porn star. Yeah, you both know Nina and. She says a very famous quote, which is, you don't learn sex from porn, just like you wouldn't learn how to drive a car from watching Fast and Furious. Oh,
2: that's good. That's good.
3: And yet we, without the proper pleasure education in our system, this is what's happening is we're learning a lot about sex and a lot about our bodies from basically Movies And and fantasy situations that are made up in a lot of cases. So when it comes to the sex education conversation where where we take a stand is really in in informing people about pleasure education, for example, oh, you know, a woman has there are five different types of clitorises and they all like different stimulation and they all like different things. And so when we start to talk about pleasure education, we can really get more in touch with our our own bodies and our own body sensation and really take the shame out of it and make this a, a really accessible conversation to to folks.
1: I think it's really interesting where people kind of like pleasure block, block themselves Besides just studying like sexual pleasure, I also co-founded a sex positive community where we have like events and different things. And the two founding pillar is desire, your desire and belonging. So, so in order for someone to experience pleasure, they have to be authentic to themselves. Like what actually arouses them, what turns them on, and they have to be able to celebrate whatever that arouses them and turns them on and then usually they want to feel a sense of belonging and what turns them on what feels good to them so usually is if someone having a difficult time experiencing pleasure they have bought into one of a box they're supposed to be so they go like oh sex is only normal like this so i should like this and if i don't like this there's something wrong with me so the idea is to really embrace the the things that actually arouses them right? As long as it is with two consenting adults, right? That they could ne- negotiate like each other's well being, And the second part is that we do want a sense of acceptance to the things that arouses us and turn us on. So, and on the, on the scientific sense, so, so there's like the psychological arousal. You also have to receive the type of sensation that works for your body mm-hmm. and your, everybody's is everybody's body's slightly different but we don't ed- necessarily educate people how they're different. So, so when I was uh, researching for the book, I really dig really deep into like, why does this particular uh, vulva prefer to be touched slightly off like one o'clock off the clit? And some people will only get off and touching their pupil, uh mound and nowhere near the clit. And some people only prefer uh, internal stimulation and why some people only get off from being spanked. Like, how, how do we make mm. sense of all of those things? And their discovery is quite fascinating. It has to do with, you know, both uh, nature and nurture and also the environment and how all those things get wired in um, in your sexual development phase. So all those things take into account kind of creates a unique blueprint to each individual. What does it for them? But we really don't get to choose that much once that creation is formed. It's, it's flexible, it's fluid to a point. But I think the foundation is that you have to go with what actually does it for you. And most of the couple that ever coach, I could tell you a quick story about this couple that been married for 30 years and they have like an okay sex life. It's kind of like, okay, we have sex and it's okay. And then both party never share. They have kinky fantasy, like is a Bible bell couple who is super religious, but have a difficult time accepting that fifty grain of shape turns turns them on both for both of them, but they just never have their ability to share that. That's what's arousing for them, and when they are giving each other permission to express that part of their sexuality, all of a sudden after thirty years, everything clicks for them. So, mm-hmm. sometime is really about celebrating the thing that works for them and figure out a way to negotiate them and also receive their experience and touch that you know they really yearn for.
2: I love that. Uh, do do you think that most people in our let's talk about American society um, are not living up to their sexual potential? Like there's so much more that they they could experience they don't even know is
3: possible. Would you, would you say that's a fair statement? I, I would say that's fair from my standpoint. Yes. What about you, Kenneth? You know, coming from the fitness industry, if most
1: people never have trained their body like consistently with Sort of like a good fitness protocol. They don't know what their body is capable of, right? Mm. Like our body is also capable of like being a marathon runner versus a power lifter, and you might have some talent for like their two extreme side, right? One is like lifting one thing really heavy for one second. The other thing is like running twenty six mile. The body is physically capable for both, and not everybody needs to be a sexual Olympian necessarily. But that's why like. I love the education side because the growth mindset that you could adapt to sexuality is so huge. People don't know their orgasmic potential if they are willing to train it. And that's when all the ancient protocol, like Tantra or Kingster have figured out how to keep like push that, like, can they feel more? Can they, can they have so much orgasm and this extended rolling orgasm, they feel like they meet their maker, like they have a psychedelic experience, but it requires just like meditation, or fitness that it requires sort of this growth mindset and training protocol to develop that. Mm. But we look at sex as a, is it just an innate, distinction thing, either you're born being good and bad or you have the right equipment or you don't. So I think mm. my message from my book is really about that growth mindset. You, we so underestimate what is possible without putting their investment
2: on our sexuality. My mentor, Abraham Maslow, the humanistic psychologist, um, talked about this a little bit in some of his unpublished writings. I came across these like people don't know what their sexual heights could be, especially linking it to transcendence, which is, well, that's my, that's where a topic where I feel more comfortable (laughs) talking about um, is, I see you have my book up there. Thank you so much. In what ways are you interested in? Uh, Helping people reach transcendence through sexual uh, behaviors, uh, transcendent states of being, getting outside yourself, you know, not being so self-focused, and even spirituality, you know, this is, uh, I'm I'm so fascinated between the link between sexuality and spirituality. Can we riff on that a little bit?
3: So I I love to speak from experience, and I'll try anything three times, because I believe the first time you try something, there's that. Component. Oh, i was trying for the first time. The second time is always a little scarier, and then the third time, you know, you really know if something's for you. And I went on this personal journey of, yeah, for me, I was very interested when I explored my sexuality in in maximizing my sexual potential. Right, having longer orgasms, having more orgasms, having stronger orgasms, and on that journey that led me down a path of tantra of Completely exploring the exploration of where science, uh, uh, where this sexuality is a spiritual conversation. I have had a, the same partner for this entire journey of this pro- of this process I've been on, who I've been able to experiment with and through both self pleasure, so masturbation, as well as partnered practice. Here I am. I started my journey almost seven years ago. I am absolutely multi orgasmic. Whenever I want to be with certain things in place that I'm sure Kenneth and I will get into a little bit later. (laughs) And I went on the journey of learning how to squirt. And I did. I believe anything is fucking possible. If you believe and you want it and you know you're worthy of it, anything's possible. And I truly live my life that way. And uh, we have an extraordinary, transformational eight-week coaching program. We only run once a year for our community of pleasure seekers. And it's called Sex and Empowerment. And we really believe that when people, I mean, me and my partners met in a, my partners on the podcast met in a entrepreneurial leadership program, very corporate. We were in blazers, no cleavage allowed. <laughs> and and we connected and, and somehow when we completed that communication coaching program, we all became communication coaches inside of we took a hard left turn when we completed that and somehow started a sex podcast. And for us, it was really the missing link. We were worked on ourselves so much had done so much, I would say in the world of ontology. Um, I was also a psychology minor. So I just was always obsessed with like understanding why and how and how things work. And the study of being human was always very fascinating to me, which is what ontology is, what it is to be human. And we really feel that what launched our transformation or our transcendence into the stratosphere was looking at our sexuality. And when we all did, you know, we were all three very different for me. I came out in my marriage and I'm still married to the same person. And to me, that's a huge breakthrough and win. Can't imagine how many people either don't come out in their partnership and suppress that their entire life or do. And then they end up having to part ways. For one of my other partners, she was literally a 33-year-old woman who had never masturbated before, didn't know women did, and had a series of injuries along the left side of her body that she healed through masturbation. So for us, sex is not just a spiritual conversation, it's a health conversation. And I think that when it comes to spirituality, being deeply connected to our body... Being deeply in communication with our body, being able to hear what our intuition is, versus be run by our limiting beliefs or any sort of um, unprocessed trauma from childhood, right? Uh, what we're all about is really freeing people up from their past so that they can embody the kind of mindset that they know they are the creator of their reality that they are worthy of their desires and 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 whatever they want to create in and out of the bedroom is possible. However, I do think it takes a major mindset either shift or like start from scratch, you know, depending on if we're dealing with any sort of religious implications from upbringing or etc.
1: What I love about sexual experiences is that it really incorporate all your senses, both like psychological and physical and it transcend you to a state of mind that is extremely unique and i don't want to butcher uh adam saffron and james faust and also ian Carner talks about this idea of entrainment like how do you get your brain into this rhythmic state Mm. where you are your ego dissipate right you having a uh, if you call it a religious experience or whatever it is but it's a very unique state to get your brain to when you're experiencing peak sexual experiences um also i look at I compare to good lovers, to good fighters. And the reason why is good fighters are able to manage their nervous system in a way that they are, could relax enough and be excited enough at the same time and oh, they could yeah. modulate the same amount. So you could yeah. both learn how to activate your parasympathetic nervous system to your sympathetic in a way that you could keep making those independent system peak at a higher level. So you are, your yeah. subjective experience is higher and higher, just like a soldier could handle like a warrior to handle danger, you know, or or like the world was falling apart That, but they could stay, they could stay calm and cool in that experience. And they could manage their, their state and throughout human history. Like, uh, where we talked about the Kama Sutra or the Taoist practice practitioner have learned like different ways to kind of hack that in a way that they could experience transcendence in, in their body, whereas beyond themselves. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting about peak sexual experiences when something is like novel, is surprising. You didn't know what's possible, but it's more pleasurable than you ever thought. And that's why I actually wrote the book Beyond Satisfy. Like there's a moment when this sexual experience is so profound that you re-index your everything in your brain about what's good and bad, like that meal that like transformed your life. I didn't know food could be that good. So, but sex is one of those things that is we already have a drive for it. So like, you don't have to pull teeth to, to go towards it. And when people have a mind blowing experiences it's, it's, and sometimes it's borderline addictive, right? Like, was that good? So for some people it's really easy to get there. For some people it's more challenging, but I have found that when I'm able to access those state mm. it's really profound. Like y- you feel like life is good. You know, it gives Mm. you this feeling that everything is gonna be okay. Like we're built to receive this, you know, this goodness. And we can't believe our body is capable of experiencing those pleasure.
3: There's also something really healing for the body to tap into that level of transcendence in the bedroom. The nervous system is super relaxed after orgasm. We know that when we're in a parasympathetic state, this is where healing can happen. So deeper sleep. Um, so there's a lot of health benefits too. I want to call it impactful sex because not just any sex. Because like sex can tr- trigger your trigger your nervous system and like actually trigger trauma. I've, I've certainly had sexual experiences that have triggered trauma and not left me my body feeling super restored. But I think the opportunity of educating yourself and being with partners who are educated is that those kinds of satiating sexual experiences that. Forward your personal development and spiritual growth is available in this lifetime, and if you have a desire to have them, then you can you know be one step closer to um, calling that toward you. I think the issue comes in when people feel they don't they don't deserve or they're not worthy, and we see this come up a lot in long term relationships. You know, people are like, "Well, you know, the spark just went away. We've been together for fifteen years, and and I just want to call big bullshit on all that." Uh, we work with people who are having some of the best sex of their lives into the later years of their life and the spark is is literally a chemical reaction that's happening in the brain when you first meet somebody and you have great sex there is this sort of spark that can that is there's something that's happening chemically in the brain there's there is actual sparking happening in the brain. And when that goes away after however many years, depending on the couple or whatever life circumstances come in to um, alter the desire, that spark can be reignited. And so as an intimacy coach, this is what we, this is what we do is we really support people in creating the spark on an ongoing basis. You know, and how is it that not just me and my partners, but all of our all of the amazing people that come through our programs that have partners all experiencing that they feel more in love with their partner now. And that is amazing because nothing has changed except their mindset, except whatever is in the way of their own full self-actualization in relationship.
1: Their intimacy part, I would love to to add on that, Madison. Like one of one of the things I love about transcendence when I was reading your book is about the idea of transcendence love. Right. And that's be more love. like
2: be love. Be love. Like be you love. are yeah.
1: love you are loved therefore yeah. you have love to give and that's right i think sexuality as a as a modality really gives an opportunity for people to embody that kind of transcendence love and acceptance and celebration and if you could get yourself there and their intimacy that two people could build and i'm sure vas and have seen it in her coaching program over and over again like that is it never gets old is what i love about it you know like when you witness people fall in love again you know after years because they have this new level of intimacy due to the sexual connection it is really fulfilling and and that keeps like keeps me going all the time because of that
2: that's beautiful i'm thinking of maybe titling this episode how to have more sexual pleasure so if if i do title it that Let's let's spend some time talking about some practical things here, you know. So we live up yeah. to that title. <laughs> and one thing, I think it'd be good in this conversation. Let's for a second separate male empowerment, sexual empowerment, from female sexual empowerment, and uh, let's just double click on female sexual empowerment. And then I want to talk about male as well. But let's start on female sexual empowerment. What do you, both of you, in your experience and the science that you've looked at? This is a science podcast. Have you found are some of the biggest blocks um, for women being able to express their full sexuality without shame, without in its most fullest sense, you know, what, what are some things?
3: So yeah, I want to talk about the orgasm gap, actually, in terms of female sexual empowerment. There was a study done in 2016 from the Archives of Sexual Behavior. This included folks who were lesbian, gay, and bisexual, FYI. And 95% of heterosexual men reported that they usually or always orgasm during sex. And that was compared to only 65% of heterosexual women who were the least likely. And then the study, it was also found that 39% of women said they always orgasm when they masturbate compared to 6% during sex. So women say that they orgasm 39% when they masturbate, but when they have penetration with another partner, it's 6%. And This is called the orgasm gap. And simply put, it's just that penis owners are coming a lot more than vulva owners. (laughs) And so orgasm equality is really important. Understanding why do men reach orgasms so much more than women? And not to say that sexual empowerment means orgasm. However, for a lot of women, you know, they just want to have good orgasms in the bedroom or at least have one. Right. And so the entire clitoris is... My show that is a top rated sexuality podcast, the pleasure positive podcast used to be called Clit Talk for the first five years that we were in existence. And only, um, we, we only changed our name just in November of 2022 due to censorship. We're going to come back, though, once we take over the world. We're going to come back as clitop. However, we've been really passionate about the clit conversation. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, that was very empowering for us to discover that there were five different types of clits and to learn that me and my fellow partners over at the Pleasure Positive podcast all had different clit sizes. And we all could attest to the the, the reality of that and how we were all liking those sensations that are for our style clit and learning that was very empowering. When it comes to female sexual power empowerment, there is a bit of an epidemic, I think, going on amongst the, our, our, <laughs> our community, which is the... It sounds something like this. Maybe you've both heard this before. Well, he just didn't, couldn't make me orgasm. There's so much in that statement. I love that because I, those are the perfect people to come to our program because pleasure is your responsibility. Mm. If it's our body, it's our responsibility we, our body can already orgasm without that person. That means that nobody can make you come. They can just facilitate your body's own innate ability to do something. And so if we can start to understand that pleasure is our responsibility and we stop blaming our partner for our lack of pleasure or blaming the world for that we don't have a partner to experience pleasure with, we can get really empowered around our personal sexual empowerment because then it's so exciting. Then it's like pleasure is my responsibility. Well, now it's what do I want to learn? What do I want to do? What do I want to know? And 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 that's a beautiful beautiful place to be when it comes to sexual empowerment for for females. Wow,
2: Kenneth, I know that you do workshops. Uh, you did a squirting workshop recently that Vice covered, and it's, there's a YouTube. Maybe I'll put the link in the show notes. Um, yeah. And you start off your sessions with um, with the discussion of the science behind it. Is that right? Yeah. I think their orgasm gap and the
1: pleasure gap has many reasons behind it. So, so scientifically speaking, when you look at it as male arousal and male genital, like when we get aroused, we see an erection. It's very clear that you see your own penis being erect and is really easy to access it and, and manipulate it in a way to give yourself consistent stimulation to reach orgasm. So if you're the person with a penis, you you are doing the penetrating, just say, right, you could calibrate your own sensation the way that feels good to you consistent enough to reach your orgasm. So the problem is that when in a typical heterosexual couple standpoint, if you're on the receptive end, you're just being penetrated and you don't have that much control over the sensation you're receiving and you're not moving your body to generate the sensation uh, consistently, then you might not have the appropriate of your, your actual preference of how you like to be stimulated to reach orgasm. So there is sort of, first we like think to P- P and V sex as the only sex is a huge sex myth, right? It's about receiving consistent stimulation that works for you, that drives up arousal. So mo- and unfortunately, we don't teach females how to take charge of creating that sensation that feels good. Like it's not just on the receptive end. So that's one thing, but it's crazy that we think female orgasm is more difficult and like harder to reach and more complicated. Right. It's totally I see their their pleasure and orgasmic potential in female body way better than male. If I get if there's mm. such thing as I get to come back the second time, I totally want a clit and a female brain instead of a mm. penis and a male brain because I see the sheer amount of orgasmic potential, extended orgasm and 47% of female have reported in the OMG Yes uh, research that they are capable of having multiple orgasm. In order for most male body people to have multiple orgasms, they really have to train themselves to separate ejaculation from the subjective experience of orgasm, right? Hmm. Like the contraction and their their feeling in their brain. Also, I think Emily Legalsi in her book... um, uh, come as you are is really important to talk about erotic context because it's not just the physical sensation so it's not just body just sexual stimulation you have to have a erotic context that arouses you so you might be receiving the sensation but you are totally turned off by the situation so we don't talk about how important it is to have the right erotic context with the right sexual stimulation but it's also not rocket science. So if you could make sure that person is aroused, relaxed enough, and getting the sensation that that person prefer, and most of the time, so usually you could tell by their masturbation habit if they usually come this way, they already have the conditioning, like the neural conditioning that this path is trained. So it works most of the time. So imagine you are a straight guy having a first time hookup, right, with someone, and they said, "Hey, we're not gonna touch the head of your penis." You never have an orgasm with your prostate. We just go to peg you, and we expect you to have an orgasm. Of course, it doesn't work because this person never learned. You could learn to have a prostate orgasm, right? It could work, but that is not the preferred way for for this individual. So, it's so. And for and for most male, they will live a entire. They will die happy, right? Only able to come from stimulation of their penis. Right? Never touch their prostate. But, and yet, at the same time, we, you know, uh, there's so many sex myths, like, a mature orgasm is due, like, internal stimulation. So, doesn't matter if your biological sex is male or female, there's internal sensation you could feel, and external sensation, Mm -hmm. and they're distinct, right? In a different pathway. Uh, One is is more somatic, and one is more uh, visceral, where it's, like, this full-body experience. And that preference, it really depends on individual... Doesn't matter what sex, what, what a uh, biological sex to your gender expression, to your orientation is, it's just, just like, I like spicy versus I like sweet, It's just two different flavor. Some people like a blend of those two, some people like individual, but most of the time when you put, um, have you put a straight couple on a hookup situation on a first time sex? They are just not having the stimulation that does it for them. They are trying to do this thing that is not reliable for most people so i really am so passionate to end the myth that like female orgasm is more difficult they are harder to pleasure i don't think so i in fact i think it's easier and better and we just need better education on how to do it the literal part like if your female partner don't want to tell you what they like and don't uh uh and don't know what they like go with the lowest hanging fruit because we know more female will prefer external stimulation to reach orgasm than internal alone so make sure you touch the clit like most penis owners. Most guys would like the head of their penis touch doing sex in order to have orgasm. So I think if we just do that, more people would have more orgasms.
2: Mm. Wow. I hope uh, people are taking notes here <laughs> 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 who are listening to this. Uh, mm. it, so, I mean, if people really applied your research and, uh, in, the, in the fullest way, do you see a net positive on the world? Totally, because it sh- it's not that difficult. I-, I think, you know, when I was writing the
1: book, it's maybe one college semester worth of information, but no one really regrets being great in debt. It is really right. not that hard, right? Like, right. It- and once you learn, you are so much better than the people who are not educated. I, I-, I love this analogy. Jacko have this amazing, like, more military leadership podcast. That he talks about... You know, if, you, if, you, if someone gives you a puzzle that you never solved before, right? And then it seems like how the hell this puzzle is solved. But once you see it once, then you never forget how that puzzle is solved. Why wouldn't you, we wanna watch how people solve all those puzzles already? This is not new puzzles. Like humans been around forever. We have figured out how to do all of those things. But if you could watch people already did that, then you, you, your education will perceive your experience. And then you could, uh, uh, you could approach the situation with so much more insight. So if you just wing in it and go instinctual, then you are like no different than you, you getting into a fist fight, right? You never learn how to fight. But if you had three months worth of training in you, worlds apart. So it, it, you don't have to be the best fighter in the UFC, but that, you know, one semester worth of investment is the, the, the gap is like so big. And sometimes people, like what they need to correct what they need to calibrate it's just 2 millimeters away like i have i have coach client she just don't like a like directly slightly above the hood that's all the difference is that tiny right and yet never reach orgasm to reaching orgasm consistently so that's why i value
2: this mm. That's amazing i'd like to talk a little bit about male sexual empowerment and maybe some misconceptions there because I don't hear as much about that. There's so much and maybe it's a correction for the past but all these kind of workshops and things there seems to be such a focus on women's orgasm and and rightly so for a lot of ways. But do you think there are some misconceptions that we have about male sexual pleasure that the, all the male needs to do is is ejaculate for instance and then they're satisfied and that's about the height of their satisfaction. You know. So we don't need to we don't need to have any workshops for them because that's do you think that there are some of these kinds of mis- is that a misconception for instance?
3: Yeah. Being rock hard on command is part of that. Like those myths, right? Those man myths. They need to be rock hard on command. That um, you know, their penises can't go flaccid during sex. All of these are myths. Like these are absolutely and 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 from personal experience, um, dating several different men and also being married to a man. I'm finding like a common, I'm doing like my own primary research right now. I got like a five male lovers, including my husband, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> seeing a common denominator between all of them, which is that to actually be turned on, they need emotional connection. This just happens to be with the men that I'm connecting with. I don't think, I don't want to put blanket statement and say that everyone requires emotional connection to be turned on. But what I am finding is the men that I'm connecting with that are very, they're very, they usually are on the spectrum of bisexual, pansexual, queer, you know, more leaning towards the desire of having a female partner, right? So that level of like where they are in terms of their um, sexuality and, and orientation is like, they want to manifest a female partner. However, they couldn't imagine going the rest of their life without being able to um, be with the same sex. Mm -hmm. And with the very heart opened individuals, you know, a nice balance of masculine and feminine energy, not overly masculine males. Okay. So I'm also sort of setting like a, like, this is what my pool of research, uh, my, my, my guinea pigs in my research study are. Okay. I'm giving you like my sample group here. And for these, for these people, they all require this emotional connection. This is new for me. I started this, my journey of sexuality, hating when anyone would text me after I slept with them. Like I was like, oh, What? Like, I just wanted casual sex. I didn't want any emotional ties. I didn't really want to talk much about it to being, you know, once I actually got educated and had my own Mm -hmm. transformation through my own sexual awakening, I realized that my very nature is to actually... Founded upon having an emotional connection before having sex, so to me that makes sense. I'm attracting that which I am uh, putting out, my own values, and I also believe that like, that is I'm interested in only really having sexual connections with people who who also value that. That's a sort of long way of answering your question. Thing I do yeah. think that it is. I do think that men want more than just penetration, and I'm going to allow the the man sex expert here to speak to the rest of this. <laughs>
1: I totally agree with the sort of this pressure on having um, an erection on demand, like lasting as long as all night long and have a rock hard dick. And there's a whole industry that reinforced that with, with the patent of Viagra, like past their time, then this tons of companies selling penis pill everywhere. We kind of reduce male sexuality to a heart erection, right? And how long it could last. That does not take into account of their erotic mind and the sexual, the erotic context that we find so pleasurable. And to Madison's porn, there, you know, I do my feel. I, I know a lot of uh, strippers and erotic dancer, and they would always say, most of the time, the guys are coming in. You think they just want to see uh, TNA, and for a lot of them, they actually want someone to listen to them and have a girlfriend experience. Having someone to care about what's going on with them. So there is this like connection nurturing sense that male sexuality doesn't get to talk about. Also, you know, to correct some of the historical trauma between the sexes, I think there is a lot of, a lot of straight guys. And it doesn't have to be only straight guys, but they have, find it very confusing to express their masculine side or what turns them on. So they feel like in order for them to be a good human, they have to be like very, very gentle and soft. And they're like conflicting with their, like they just don't know how to negotiate that type of sex, right? So they feel like in order for me to fit in, I have to forego all the things that I naturally like gravitate towards in order to be a good human. And I think it's quite confusing. And and I work with a lot of men. I think like there's definitely some asshole that in the world that is sort of like then I'm never gonna change, that's who they are. But there's so such a uh, large population of genuinely giving human beings that just happen to be in a male body, that they care about their partner's pleasure, they, they care about their own pleasure, and they just don't know what is the right way to express it in 2023. Mm-hmm. And it's changing so fast and it's so confusing. And then you have this resurgence of like old school misogyny from Andrew Tate's side of the oh, world, yeah. right? So it's tricky, like the swing back from the other side. So I truly feel that this also is a great opportunity for us to prepare the next generation to have a more transcendence in their sexual expression and to create more harmony between the sexes and and, and support each other and love each other. So more than just a hard dick, there is a lot of confusion. And I hope it, I hope there will be more, edu- more educational program for male and my own sex coach, uh, Dustin Garrick, I did his, um, I did his program where I was in a room with 50 men who deal with, uh, premature ejaculation. And he have this amazing coaching program that I have seen people who struggle this whole life, do the training, like the workouts and they're able to reach, a, uh, ejaculatory choice. Meaning you could choose when you want to ejaculate. So it's pretty amazing from, and, but what was so, like what is so heart-wrenching is to hear their story about how much they're ashamed because if they believe they are a premature ejaculator and to go back to the science, because I love the science too, if you are born in a female body and you have a excitatory system that just go straight up, right? And you don't have a, much of an inhibitory system and you're able to reach orgasm over and over again quickly, then you're celebrated if you're in a female body, but if you're born with the same nervous system in a male body, you become a premature ejaculator, and you come too easily and you are worthless in in the bedroom. So when I see that, it is really so for those people who are born with that nervous system, they have to train how to like manage that, right? But it just it really depends. So I think a lot of men struggle with like different sexual issue or don't know why their wife don't want to have sex with them, you know, like for the last 20 years. And they have to deal with their own like rejection. Like, am I not like sex like sexually attractive to you? So I, I do think we need to to give attention to to males too.
2: Yeah, uh, that's uh, very beautiful. Uh, everything you just said. I think that we would be remiss if we didn't talk about penis size in this episode, since uh, it's, it's always like the elephant in the room among men, you know? Can you um, can we get the elephant and put it right in front of us for a second and just confront it? And yeah. and, and tell me about your own personal experience, Kenneth, because you have been so vulnerable and honest uh-huh. about your own journey with us.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to find a, a diagram of my book. So... <laughs> So here's all the penis size, oh, right? Good, good. Let me take um, a screen capture. Thing. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So just say average. What, is, what's the size hmm,
2: of the one at the bottom?
1: The bottom is, the bottom 25% is greater. Um, the biggest, the 2% porn star cock is 8 inches and above. So that's okay. 2% of the population. Okay. 23% is in the 6.25, six, uh, six and a quarter inches to eight inches. Okay, most of the population is in the four point seven five to mm-hmm. six and a quarter. Okay, so I am a proud average size penis owner at five point six inches. It's kind of smack in the middle. Um, What's the bottom? Uh, one? We're talking about length. Uh, the bottom one is less than uh, four point seven five.
2: What what counts uh, as a micro?
1: I think it's in their one in their one and two and a half inch range. Yeah, so and those are very
2: rare. Okay. So is the is the message there that it's more like about the technique, you know, at a, at a certain point like men focus too much on the size that it kind of gets in their head and they're not doing the things that actually pleasure women. I mean or or men, I should say we should not just be heterosexual oriented here. What are some takeaways here? I don't want to put words in your mouth, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Madison. If you don't mind me talking, it's just so passionate. I can't, and also I can't believe I, I was so insecure about my penis size uh-huh. for most of my early adulthood. I wouldn't let people like reach for my pants because I, I'm so scared if they actually see my penis, they would reject me right then and there. My and my hopes and dreams would be all over. So. So, coming and then now talking about the internet on the internet all the time about my advertised penis is, is, is mind blowing to me. It's but empowering. I think, the takeaway, sure, I think yeah. it's
2: empowering. I think I just want to say. Yeah.
1: That. I think it's really important that we have this myth that bigger is better. So, we treat sex like a basketball game it is better if you're taller. And that is not the case when it comes to sexual pleasure, it has to do with genital fit. So, what I mean by fit is that you have, and also on the book I did not just penis size but vaginal size so it's two things right it's like a shoe to a foot a pleasure fit is way more important and most of the time it fits well because based on like uh, bell curve distribution most people are somewhere in the middle and most vaginas somewhere in the middle so the pleasure fit percentage is very very high now that doesn't mean that there's no size queens out there or there are people that does not prefer penetration whatsoever they do exist but we are so hung up on on like, because we are, we have so much sexual images on porn that you only see, it's like, imagine your whole life, you only watch NBA games. So your idea of hype is that. So you have no idea and is not necessarily more pleasurable, right? For some people, like what really gets them off is a huge penis. But for majority of people on the planet, is real like if you know your technique, you're aroused enough, it will provide the right amount of stimulation that will that will lead to orgasm. So if that was true, then if you mm. think about sex toy sale, the only toy that would buy is the biggest dildo they could find, right? That that's not the case. Vibrator, I'll sell dildo any day. But we reinforce that culturally. And also there is, you know, a population of women that want to read to continue that myth as saying, oh, I like, I hook up this guy with the largest penis or big dick energy. So we have this cultural reinforcement of hmm. this myth that bigger is better. Now, again, some people do prefer that, but not always and not high enough to make that generalization. So I think finding the right pleasure fit that will lead you to more, uh, uh, more pleasurable or more ag- orgasmic experience is, is the gold standard. So you could, you could mm-hmm. also have a lover who, who go in with a gigantic penis? They think they're like, like they have the magic stick syndrome. So they think right. they're God's gift because of their dick, and they put right. no effort into it, right. and they're terrible lovers. So it really depends, you know. I yeah, really... and, and 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 yeah. So that's my experience on my side, Thank and I'm, I'm sure Madison have a lot more to I, add on on their flip side. I
2: definitely can't wait to hear what Madison has to think about penis size. But I just wanted to say real quick, um, my own personal experience. You know, it's been, I've found with women, at least maybe it's just the women I'm with, it, the psychological aspect is what turns them on so much. There, mm-hmm. It's like, I just feel like that's not discussed nearly as, a, as much. It's almost like the penis sizes and afterthought you know or like it's like mm. a it's not like the primary thing on the woman's mind there's sort of like if there's a great psychological connection like this big psychological component where two people are connecting with each other in a in a like a really sexy way you know isn't there isn't there psychological sexiness and that's an interesting construct so i just wanted to put that out there and, and madison i'd love to hear your thoughts about penis size, of course
3: that's interesting that you're just speaking to what you just shared. Cause I'm now I'm I'm like, I'll get to what I was going to say in a moment. Uh, This is interesting. I'm like, I'm like, I can't totally relate to that. I'm like, hmm, do I have, and I think that's where like the expertise court sort of sways my own. It creates a bias because I think I've unlearned that. I've just noticed that before I started, the podcast seven years ago and went on this my own journey of sexual exploration and then my own pleasure research for the last six and a half years, Big Dicks did psychologically turn me on. In fact, mm. when I would be with certain lovers, the first thing I'm totally in full transparency right now, I'm just telling on myself, this is making me remember like how I used to interact like in college. Like The first thing I would look at is their penis and have some sort of assessment about it dependent on its size, dependence on its, you know, thickness and what I thought that I liked. And my only frame of reference was my high school boyfriend that I lost my virginity to by the time I got into college, right? So, and he had, I would say, um, an average, maybe the the second to, the one above average, Kenneth, what was that? <laughs> what percentile was that? That's
2: 6.5 oh,
1: inches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Above, uh, yeah, 6, yeah.
3: And so I was comparing and I think we live in a very comparative world and psychologically we're constantly comparing right and as a polyamorous woman that this is something that comes up people ask me all the time how do you not compare your partner to other partners and to say that i don't wouldn't be true but i have power over that i have power over my psychology that wants to compare and be like oh i like him more right now and then i have my consciousness and grounded in my commitment what i'm committed to that keeps me married to my husband, not leaving him for the next, you know, better dick that I find or whatever. But pre-working on myself, I did make that evaluation about my male lover. So I'm, I'm relating to how you must have this experience and where I'm not relating anymore is because as I went on this own journey and my awareness expanded about what sex really is, I now understand and I've been in a place for several years where I understand that penis size and sex are not correlated in any way.
2: <laughs> wow. So has your are you have you changed in terms of your arousal based on a man's penis size has, has have you changed Absolutely.
3: Absolutely 100%. I mean, okay. I can say Like 180 degrees. Okay. My my thoughts on and this is I'll go speak to what I was going to share on my thoughts on penis sizes. Oh yeah, hmm. I have some of the best sex with my lovers that don't have what would be considered a larger penis. And Kenneth and I talked about this on the show. And we're like, only if it moves the conversation forward. And I feel like it really moves the conversation forward, Kenneth. So I'm going to dive right in. I got the privilege of having a sexual experience with Mr. Kenneth Play. I say privileged because this man knows what he's doing. (laughs) He not only practices what he preaches, but like... I can say from what, experience what an
2: endorsement what an endorsement personal Beyond endorsement i satisfied
3: <laughs> I literally call my call my business part. this was an edge for me because I've interviewed Kenneth on our podcast 3 times and I have a sexuality podcast so sexual harassment gets a little blurry you know we we just kind of are like yeah. uh, and we sort of have a general rule that we we won't date our guests as a, as our best sexual harassment policy Basically, it's to stop me from asking out all of the sexy people we interview, because uh, <laughs> I will, I would have. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. I was going to New York, and I, I want to share this inside of the, the context of the importance of going after our deepest desires as it relates yeah. to maximizing sexual pleasure. Sure. When we don't go after our desires, there's a lack of fulfillment from a psychological standpoint when we go after things that excite us, we have adrenaline. We literally like Mm. get a rush. Yeah. Yeah, And in the bedroom, we can actually edge ourselves in orgasm. Maybe you've heard this term of edging. And for anyone that's listening that doesn't know what edging is, it's the idea of of literally bringing yourself as close to orgasm as possible and then pulling back and then getting as Mm. close to orgasm as possible and pulling back and playing with that, what we call that edge spot and it can be incredibly pleasurable and allow for really expansive states of orgasm. So now if we t- apply this physical practice of edging in our body and we, we make it be more of a, of a metaphor for life when it comes to our desires, when we go after our desires, it's an edge. And when we reach an edge in our body, we can expand the sensations within it. So when we go toward an, something in our life, that's a desire, that's an edge and we reach it, that is, it enlivens us and it does something to the body that, that it, there's adrenaline, there is, um, serotonin that gets released and it's very exhilarating. It's very exciting. And so one of our core philosophies and belief us alongside that we are responsible for our pleasure and it's nobody's responsibility, but our own. Um, we also really believe that as a practice of, of as a lifestyle to actively engage with your desires is instrumental to your pleasure, both in and out of the bedroom. And I would say like, this would go to somebody who, for even outside the bedroom example, someone who is in a job that they hate and they know it, but they stay in it because of fear, limiting beliefs, et cetera. But really they want to start a restaurant. They love cooking. They come home from work and that's their safe haven. And they get to cook. They've always wanted to open a restaurant. I would say for the well, that person's well-being, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually in this lifetime, all right, maybe they don't need to quit their job overnight. They should definitely take some actions to start that restaurant they always dreamed of. There's something when it comes to personal fulfillment that when we suppress the, our truth, which is our deepest desires are our truth there's something deeply healthy about being in that kind of relationship with one's desires and recognizing. So my whole thing is have the courage to live your truth. If you can have the courage to live your truth, you're going to be putting yourself in a position to have a lot more pleasurable experiences in this lifetime. Going back to my asking Kenneth out (laughs) in a way that was uh, appropriate or as appropriate as as it could be since we were two colleagues here, I connected with my desire. My desire was to, at the essence, was to at least meet Kenneth Play in person, right? Mm -hmm. I had a deeper desire to go on a date with Kenneth, but I wasn't in a place where I was feeling super courageous about just asking him out. So I I needed to meet myself where I was at. And where I was at was, and this is what we do with desire mapping technology, is we, we look at the... The essence of a desire, because sometimes with desires, it could be like, ah, how do I do that? It seems so big. But if we can baby step toward them, we can actually create a path that leads to it. And um, I think another important thing to mention inside of this is going after our desires doesn't mean we're going to get it. It's like the nature of asking for what we want, just because we had the courage to ask it. We, it doesn't mean we're going to get it and there's a grace to being with a no as well. And so That's I didn't want to just ask him out, out of you know and get the no. So I, I, I sent an email to his assistant and I just said, hey, I'm going to be in New York. I would love to meet Kenneth if this is something that Kenneth would be available for. Um, this is my cell phone number and he's welcome to reach out to me directly to book a time. And I was very pleased when I got that text message later that night from Kenneth, in fact, following up about us getting to meet in New York. And I feel like I should add to this that if I didn't reach out to him, part of what inspired that was I i was imagining being in New York and him not knowing and coming back and what that would have felt like. And I was like, that would have felt there would have been a bit of a, le- a disappointment within myself that I didn't confront whatever the psychological, perceived psychological fears were, which is really just rejection. <laughs> and so I, I, was, I, I was like, no, I'm breaking through that because there's no way I'm coming back from this trip and, and at least not having made the effort to know that I, I, I took action toward this desire. And we ended up having a date. That's what it, it ended up coming to. I don't know if you want to like add in here or anything, <laughs> Kenneth. But feel free to chime in if you do, and just cut me off. That'll turn me on. And so we went on this amazing date, and it was uh, for me. I called after the date. I called my business partners at Clit Talk, and they were, were they were just living to know. I'm sorry, we have rebranded, so I keep calling our company our old name. We are pleasure positive living and we are the pleasure positive podcast. So my partners over there were living to hear about how this was. And they asked and I was like, well, I'm just glad I don't live in New York because he ruined sex for me. And (laughs) that was really, (laughs) but no, it was, it was so enjoyable. And part of that is, you know, what an amazing opportunity for two people in our industry to get to connect. I date a lot of people who are not in my industry and don't know what kinds of conversations to have to create really expansive sexual experiences. And so for me, I was absolutely in heaven. And just to be completely frank about it, it was the one of the best sexual experiences I've ever had in my entire life. And I've also had sex with penises that were larger and they were nowhere near in the same fucking dimension. As the ex- wow. sexual experience that I had with Kenneth, so that is just a huge endorsement to say that not only does penis size not matter, but when it comes to uh, multiple orgasms, it's not necessary. It's not required at all.
2: Wow, there's a topic in, psycho- in psychology. I'm so club. I'm You're blushing. I'm blushing so pan- pan- over here yeah. just
3: about it. I'm getting all <laughs> wow. hot thinking oh, about it is- again. But yeah, well,
2: there's, there's a um, there's a thing called meat copying in uh, psychology. Um, that uh, taps in evolutionary psychology principles and uh, I'm sure Kenneth is gonna get even more phone calls after this yeah, he got but, shame, um, but but Kenneth let me let me ask you a question do you find that this work you do puts you at risk at all of being objectified? Um once women find out. I'm not saying that Madison objectified you, but I'm just um, I'm broadening out for a second just to ask you this Did question. Did I
3: objectify you though? I'm open to that feedback.
2: No, and, and no, I, I totally it totally turns me on
1: too. And I had the biggest crush on you, but like we all have this professionalism. So it was really beautiful how we talk and negotiate and be in and kind of we move to ambiguity and go like, hey, like, you know, what kind of experience we want. We could talk about what we desire and before we even get to. It wasn't like, hey, let's get really drunk and then we roll back to my place and have sex. It was actually I love the conversation yeah. like so much prior to us playing because we we were both had sort of the language and the education to talk about what we both desire, what we want out of it, how we want to be treated. And how to navigate this complexity with a work relationship to uh, a personal connection. So, I really appreciate just having that level of conversation besides the beautiful experience that we share. The other point that I really want to add about, like, going back to a little bit about the penis size, I want to emphasize why this, like, they have to study what women prefer as far as penis size when it comes to a casual encounter versus their long term relationship. So they usually prefer penises that are slightly larger for a one-time hookup. And it has a lot, uh, I, I, I wish I could dig up, uh, recall the study, uh, which study it was. But what was interesting is that a visual system responds to things that we see bigger visually faster. So they, they did another study with like this animal just like an egg, egg-shaped object. So if you could put a bigger egg, they'd be more attracted to it, like a, like a fake egg. So just the way that we respond to a Burger King commercial, when you know that burger is quite like processed food and disgusting, but the visual really does it for us. So it would trigger our desire and hunger, even though we know that doesn't taste that good or is not as good as a burger from other restaurant. So I don't think that myth is going to disappear overnight. That's why I like told people are attracted because we like such a visual symbol of it. But ultimately... Uh, what I have found time after time, and it kind of go back to online dating in 2023. We cannot we cannot get away from those cue that causes us to attra- like be attracted to something like is it money, status, and everything else? But when it comes down to actual experience, kindness, and pleasure, and respect means a lot more than just being tall, being rich, and have a six-pack or having a a seven-figure income. Mm. So yes, it could fool us in the beginning. But at the end, when we get to experience this fully, then you realize what value really is, where it really comes down to like connection and and kindness and and mutual pleasure. So, So I think that's why this is so complicated, because it's hard for us to make those choices, right? But what's good for us What's really actually good for us is different than sometimes what we're attracted to.
2: Well, ain't that the truth? Also, what we're attracted to is not always politically correct. Yeah, and uh, yeah. it kind of uh, that that domain of life. As Justin Lay Miller, who's been on this podcast, has we have a we have a whole episode on that topic you know, um, embracing your maybe not political correct desires. And, and then consensuality is obviously so important here. And I love that chapter in your book, by the way, Kenneth, on consensuality. That was great. I just want to thank you both so much for being on my podcast and for your your openness, your vulnerability, and for empowering people to, as I would put it, have more sexual actualization, you know, of, of, their, of their full sexual potential. Um, so thanks for all the great work you're both doing. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been such a privilege to
1: come on this podcast with you, Madison and and Scott. Like I've been such a fanboy when I first met you, and I love your book. And (laughs) thank you, thank you. It's also about talent and gifted. Was like I know, like, is your earlier book, but that is such like my favorite book. So if you guys are listening to check out that first book, It, it I related to it so much, and and actually that's the book that I want to listen to. I cry a little at the gym. Because I, like, I so relate to those feelings, you know, and being dyslexic and learning disability. So I just, I just love what you do. And thank you for continuing to sharing it with the world.
2: Thank you. I feel the love here. Thank yeah. you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity.
0: Infinity Presents, a new chapter in Luxury,